For those that attend on December the 27th, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, I'm pretty sure there's somewhere in the scriptures that says there's extra rewards in heaven for those that go to church on between Christmas and New Year's every year. So uh, know that you are going to have extra crowns in heaven for being here. Probably not, but I like to say that. Um, we are in our very last week of the journey. We've been reading uh, the Bible together as a church for a year, and this little book is our reading plan. And so every month we read four different texts, and we pick one of those texts, and we dive into it, and we preach through that particular book. So we've preached through Romans and some parts in Genesis and some parts uh, in, in the Psalms, etc., etc., and even in the Old Testament. And today uh, we're finishing our, our teaching time through John. We thought since uh, we're, it's, you know, December's about the birth of Jesus, what better to do uh, than to go to the end of John and look at the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So um, that's a joke, by the way. So we are, uh, we are in, in the journey. We're finishing that. We actually have extras from last year. So if you're looking for a Bible reading plan uh, for next year and you want some places to jot down some, some thoughts, uh, we've got extras of these books. And it's, you can just take it and, you know, it tells you what, every day what to do and what to read. And you just write some stuff. And it's only one page, so it's not too, you know, scary to write a couple things here and there. And then you're done. So if you're looking for a, a plan to read the Bible, like, I'm reading the Bible next year. Grab some of these. They're on the info table. Uh, and if there's not, then we'll get you some more. We've got plenty. Uh, so we are going to be <clears throat> finishing um, the Sea of Glass is the sermon series for December that we've been looking at. And this particular sermon series uh, is the end of John. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And I'm going to pray and then we will we'll jump in. So let's pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for your loving mercy that you've given to us and given us your word. Without it, we certainly... Uh, would not know you. And so we are so thankful that this word is God-breathed. And so since it's God-breathed, when we read it, we're, we're reading the very words of God. And you are speaking actively in present tense to us, even though this was written uh, 2,000 years ago. You're actively, through the Holy Spirit, through your word, speaking to us. And so we're thankful. So because of that, God, it, all the pressure's off of me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you that you speak through your word but I do pray for help. I need your Holy Spirit to speak through me, to me, and through me to us all here. Um, that you would take your word and use it uh, in its promised way. That it would train us in righteousness. It would show us where we need to be confronted with sin. But also, God, put us on a path towards life. We thank you for Christ. Would you come now? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, John chapter 21 um, is the, the final kind of conversation between Jesus and Peter. Uh, there had been some interactions uh, throughout the entire Gospels. If you spend any time in church, you, you know about the, the interactions. But John chapter 21, the, the main idea of what we're looking at here is restoration. And so when we say restoration, we mean returning something to its original condition. There was the call of Peter and there he was kind of the leader uh, but then he had the falling, the denial. And then in John chapter 21, Peter's going to uh, be put back together by Jesus to the original condition that he had. Uh, and that's, that's what it's all about. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context so you can, you can feel the full weight of what's going on in John ch chapter 21. Uh, and just know how far kind of Peter has fallen. So... Uh, if you were here Christmas Eve, you remember on John, uh, John 20, when we looked at John 20, 21, this amazing commissioning statement or kind of sending of Jesus to his disciples in 21, where he looks at him, and this is in chapter 20, 21, it says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Just to stop and feel the full weight of the power and the force and all of the authority that the Father sends the Son. So he sends him amazing like is the an incredible piece of the gospel to know that jesus was sent by the father and then in the text as jesus is, is talking is even so so in the same way or in like manner with all the force with all the authority that the father has sent the son to come be on mission fulfill the mission go to the cross hang out with sinners and be with them jesus says even so in the same way i am sending you so the same way the father has sent the son he sent you to be on mission. 
Jesus was willing to give his entire life, every ounce of strength to fulfill the mission. Therefore, we are sent in the same way. We are commissioned in the same way to give every ounce of strength we can. Jesus made salvation possible. And now our job is to, to tell them salvation is awaiting them. So in the same way we're supposed to, that Jesus did, because we've been sent in the same way, tell everyone we know about Christ. Every ounce of strength with all the power and the, all the authority that the Father sent Christ, we have now been sent by Jesus in the same way. So it's huge we feel the full weight of John twenty twenty one, just to know that the denial that Peter uh, had of Jesus and then this commission, we, it's good for us to know how, fall, how far Peter had fallen to get to this particular place where we find him in chapter 21. So there's a huge sending uh, uh, statement given to us in 2021 and as you keep going if you get down just to the end of chapter 20 um, if if chapter 21 wasn't there you could you could read the last couple verses of chapter 20 almost like the ending of the movie where it says now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of, of disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ this whole book right here and all the things that I've written in this particular book it's written so that you can really believe Jesus is the Christ the son of God that by believing you may have life in his name credits You're like okay that's a pretty good end of the movie like if that was it but then we would all feel like wait a second there's a little bit of a rip off here what happens to Peter? I mean, Jesus is the main character, no question of this particular book. But, you know, the secondary guy right underneath there, no question, the leader is Peter. And he has this great ascension into being leadership. You know, he's the put his foot in his mouth kind of guy. But, like, what happens? And so, so we don't feel ripped off, but that's not really why. John 21 is written to show us that this, this entire Bible, this entire story is written about Jesus. But in it, we see people. Fallen people. And here we see Peter. And in Peter, all of us should see ourselves. So as we see this particular text, as we read the Bible, we see that it actually reads us. As we read chapter 21, hopefully you'll see yourself in here. So chapter 21 is about the restoration of just how far Peter had gone. Let me make sure we're all on the same page, if you will, um, on knowing about this this denial of Peter. So right before Jesus was crucified, this is what happens. And I'm reading from Luke, uh, his version. In Luke chapter 22, starting at 54, Jesus had said, you're going to deny me, Peter. You're going to deny me. I'll never. And this is what happens. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. So he was watching Jesus getting taken. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard. Now, Luke doesn't make note what kind of fire. John does in John 18, 18. He makes note that there's a certain kind of fire that's happening right here. And it's a, it's a charcoal fire. Um, John 18, 18 makes note of that. But Luke says this. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. Peter sat among them. A servant girl, seeing him as, he, as in the light, looking closely at him, said, This man was with him, meaning Jesus. But he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. Why he called the little girl a woman? Not sure. Um, and then later, some, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he's too as a Galilean. In other words, your accent makes it sound like you're from the same area as Jesus. You know, you, you talk with a draw. I think that you're with the guy with Jesus. And he's 60. Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, right here, here it is. And immediately after that third denial, after Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. This is a, a, on the scale of like sins against Jesus. This is huge. He denied Jesus three times. I don't know who he is. And he was the leader of the disciples. And this is what it says. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And it says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I mean, can you just put yourself in this moment where Peter had said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Did it three times, rooster crows. And as he's doing it, he literally locks eyes with Jesus. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Result, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. And so, from 
falling and denying Jesus to being told with the rest of the disciples that you're sent. You're sent to be on commission. This is where we find Peter in chapter 21. So this is not like rainbows and birthday cakes for Peter, right? He knows where he is. He's fallen. He's not where he should be at all with Jesus. Have you ever gotten to a point spiritually where you're just at the absolute end of yourself? Like, it's just not going well spiritually. If something doesn't happen, the trajectory I'm on is going to lead to a bad, bad place. This is where Peter is. Peter is phasing himself out completely of any type of work with Jesus. He's walking. Have you ever had a place where if you're walking down your Christian life where you say, you know what? Um, maybe you're there right now. If, if this is the way I'm going to be as a Christian, like publicly this is the life I'm going to live, I need to just hang it up because this isn't, I am not doing him any help. I am, I am pretty brutal right now at being a believer. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired with my terrible example of Jesus. And unless God, unless God comes with some kind of momentous act in my life, this path that I'm on, it's not, it's not leading to good places. I need the, for the Lord to literally step in and have something happen because it's not good. This is where Peter was. Have you had like a time in your life where that's been, and maybe it's now, I've had this. Whenever I was going to college, 17 years old, freedom, finally. I was one of those young guys. So I went into college at 17. I grew up in the church, had a relationship with Jesus, got saved at eight, lived in the protective cocoon of the youth ministry, never did anything bad, too scared, you know, afraid my parents would kill me, that kind of stuff. So basically out of fear, I was a disciple of Jesus. <laughs> and then went to college, went off, you know, lived on campus at, at USC. And it didn't happen right away. I, I was, you know, disciplined enough that it didn't happen right away. But from 17 to 20, over the course of three years, small little compromises here and there. Um, by the time I got to 20 years old, I was a completely different person. Just like Peter I found myself at the end, like at, at age 20, so many compromises later, I'm at the end saying, I'm so far down this road that I might as well not be a Christian anymore. If something doesn't happen, I need to just, I need to just quit. I need to just throw in the towel and just be a regular dude that just does a regular job and doesn't do church and Jesus and, and anything. Unless God has some kind of momentous act to happen, I have no idea how I'm going to be restored. I deeply desired it. I mean, deeply, deeply desired it. But no clue how to navigate any kind of restoration. And I just needed God to do something. And he did. Momentous. So much so, I transferred, left college, went to a different school. Like, Jesus, he's in this kind of business. Changing the course of our lives, acting huge. And if you're in that place, let me, let me say, you don't have to try to figure this out. John chapter 21 is written so that you can see how this works. John chapter 21 is written for us to be brought out of that place of despair and brought back into feeling like, you know what, we don't have to We'd have to say, I was doing awesome, but now I just kind of stink with Jesus. Bringing us back into this relationship. Breakfast, is, uh, chapter 21, is, is, is a breakfast by the sea with Jesus. And it's, it's the breakfast that changes everything for Peter. It is. So here we have verse 21. After Jesus revealed himself again to the dis disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. This is an intentional place. Jesus goes right to the Sea of Tiberias. Um, and on purpose, also known as the Sea of Galilee, he revealed himself in this way. So who's there? Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin. Thomas had a twin, by the way. Um, the twin didn't get to be part of the 12 disciples. You know, he was the uh, unnamed twin that looked just like him. Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, 
the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples. It's just, you feel bad for these two guys. Like, you hear these people and all kinds of stuff about him. Yeah, I'm tired of writing. And two other guys. Um, but anyway, as I'm looking at that, I think to myself, even though it kind of stinks to be the two other guys that don't get to be named, like, here's my shot to be named in the Bible. No. Um, likely, what's going to happen for all of us is we're going to live our Christian life in obscurity like the two other guys. That's, that's, that's probably the majority of people in the world. Your friends and your family will know your name, but the things that you do for Jesus, likely as far as like a societal recognition goes, they're going to be anonymous. They're going to be anonymous. You and I are going to be the two other, kind of, two other guys kind of people. We need to be okay that our entire Christian life for Jesus means that we're going to be the two others kind of person. That we're going to live a two others kind of lifestyle. Quietly living out our life in holiness for Jesus in relative obscurity that people don't know. Because if this comforts you at all, Jesus still sees. And he's the one that matters. So be okay with being and two others, not named, not well-known, not needing the glory. That has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just a side note. Back to the verse. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now, everything inside me wants to go, woo, all right. Like every redneck bone in my body is all pumped about this. But, but this is actually not like the best thing here. Simon Peter saying, I'm going fishing is a huge statement. Not good. Before he came to Christ, before he started following Jesus, he was a fisherman. So this means for him to say, I'm going fishing means the ministry thing didn't work out for me. That's not who I am, apparently. Um, I don't guess I'm good at it. I don't guess I'm cut out for it. I, in the end, denied Jesus. I'm a nobody. I stink. I'm terrible. I'm done. So I'm going back to the old life. I'm going back to the old way. I'm going back to the old way, the way I used to do things, the things that are familiar, where I'm in control, where I depend on me and me only, going back to my previous career. I'm, I'm going backwards, not forward. So I'm going fishing, is Peter saying, I'm going back to the old life. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Have you gotten to yourself in your Christianity where you look, and all of a sudden you look around, and you're like, I'm, I'm just doing the same things I used to do before Jesus. I've taken steps back to the old life. That's what's going on with Peter. And notice this. They said to him, we will go with you. Peter is still leading, n- not positively. He's still leading. You know, you got the two other guys and the rest of them saying, hey, you're going fishing, I'll go with you. So realize that steps towards the old life are never done by yourself. You are influencing someone still, and he is, towards the negative, I think. We're going to go with you. And it says they went out into the boat, but they that night caught nothing. They caught nothing. Now, catching nothing fishing is not a big deal. It's true that fishermen say a uh, uh, bad day fishing's, uh, th- I, I can say it in the biblical, this trustworthy is true and, and all should hear, a bad day fishing's better than a good day at work. It used to be like a bumper sticker on my neighbor's like, car that said that. And I still believe it's true. I mean, I'd rather fish than work every day. But um, that's just, you know, because I'm from South Carolina. Uh, but here, I think there's more to what we're seeing here. I think that what we're seeing here is I'm going back to the old life and you know what it's offering me still? nothing. I'm going back to what I think where I'm in control, where I depend on me and me only, and it still is yielding for me nothing. If you keep walking back to that, it's going to keep offering you the same thing it's always offered you. Nothing. That's not where Jesus is. And so Peter's seeing that, and it says, just as day was breaking... They fished all night long. That sounds awesome. Can't do that right now. Too many kids. But they fished all night long. Um, and as that's happening, we see that um, Peter's willing to, 
all night long. I mean, maybe day in, day out, I don't know. Uh, because he feels so ill-equipped and so fallen to, to spend his nights doing this. I mean, he's, we see how far he's gone. And it says, just as the day was breaking, so he fished all night long. They've been working all night long. They've got to be tired. They've got to be hungry. Notice this. This is, oh, this is so good. Jesus, so good. All right, Jesus stood on the shore. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now, Jesus has this way of concealing his identity, especially in his resurrected body. And as he's uh, in his resurrected body, concealing his identity, he's messing with people left and right. If you read, if, like, if you read the, the Gospels again, like he's walking through walls and like coming up behind people and like scaring them. Like, hey, there's Jesus. Where'd you come from? Always messing. Like he's, he's over here in the resurrected body. He's got to be messing with the shrubs. He's got to be messing with the shrubs. And the lady's like, who are you, the gardener? And he's like, no, I'm not the gardener. What, what do you think I'm the gardener for? So like he's walking down the road to Emmaus. He's like talking to him. And all of a sudden he acts like, I'm going to go a little bit further. And they're like, you want to come with us? All right. And then all of a sudden he breaks the bread and they're like, that was you the whole time? Like he's always messing with people. Um, and here, I just don't think it's any different. He's messing with them um, because he knows they've been out all night and they've caught nothing. And so random stranger's going to give fishing advice. Um, and the way he says it, it's just remarkable. Um, so he's on the shore. They don't know it's him. It, we see down in the text in verse 8, at the very end of verse 8, they're about 100 yards off. So they, they're out in the sea and they're coming back to the shore. They're about 100 yards off. And this is how Jesus says. Jesus said to him, children, do you have any fish? Now, read this. He's calling them children. Like, these are grown men. <laughs> and he's like, hey, little guys. Let, read, read it like this. In, in the Greek, the, uh, do you have any fish is written in the negative like, and I know the answer is no, but I'm going to ask it anyway, but I already know the answer is no. So it's like, hey, little guys, you didn't catch anything, did you? Huh? That's kind of how it's written. And so you can just imagine grown men, seven grown men coming back to the, to the shore. This, that's why I think Jesus is messing with him, concealing his identity. He looks at him and goes, hey, little boys, didn't catch anything, huh? And so they're saying, uh, pay, amazingly, I, I, this is written 60 years after the event actually happened. So maybe John because he's part of it, um, <laughs> acts like they s- took this unsolicited advice, like, oh, yeah, thanks for the advice. And they're like, um, did you have any, you didn't catch any fish, did you, little guys? And they're like, no. And then he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and then you'll get some. So you can imagine seven men fishing all night, and they're, this, this guy, this stranger's like, Hey, little guys, you didn't catch anything, did you? The reason why is because you've been fishing on the left side of the boat the whole night. All you need to do is just throw it over here on the right side. That's where all the fish are. Don't you know, like the fish world, fish are on the right side. So, hey, strangers, been out there all night that are all fishermen. Here's what you need to do. Just throw it on the other side. Oh, thanks, stranger guy. Appreciate the great advice. Right side of the boat. What were we thinking? Thanks a lot, Mr. Stranger. So you can just hear this. I think this is all going in their mind. But, I mean apparently able to take completely unsolicited advice. It says, so they cast the net out and they were not able to haul in the net because of the quantity of fish. What's going on here? What is going on here? Jesus, and I mean, chapter 21 of John is Jesus recreating scenario after scenario after scenario for Peter. Everything that Jesus is Everything that Jesus is doing, every little detail that John's sticking in as he writes John chapter 21 is helping you see all the links that Jesus is going to to go after Peter because he knows denial, commission, not listening to anything, falling way over here, and he's going back to the old life of fishing. And this entire book, I mean, entire chapter is written with all the details stuck in there helping you see the amazing, I mean, Amazing detailed work that Jesus is going to, to recreate scenarios for Peter, for him to say, you might be done with me, but I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. So, children, do you have any fish? Why does he call them children? I I don't know. And he mocks them a little bit, but I think he helps them see Basically, asking them if they don't have any fish and they said no is because he's trying to help them see the obvious, that they'll finally be honest with ourselves. I mean, I think that's what we can get from this is, 
Jesus asks us the obvious questions out loud to us sometimes so that we have to give the obvious answer and finally be honest with ourselves because the last thing we want to do is be honest with ourselves. And then he tells them this little thing. He says, throw it over to the other side and then you're going to catch the fish. What's Jesus doing here? This is not the first time Jesus has done something like this. As a matter of fact, the other time he did it, Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, the time he called Peter into ministry, he did this exact same miracle. I'll read it to you. Luke chapter 5, Peter is being called into ministry by Jesus, and this is what he says, this is what it says in Luke chapter 5. And when they had finished speaking, they'd been fishing all night and didn't catch anything. Um, And it says, and when they finished speaking, he said to Simon, what your problem is, is put it out into the deep and let your net for a catch. I know you hadn't caught anything, but that's what you need to do. And Simon said, Master, we've toiled all night and we got nothing. But at your word, <laughs> since you say so, Mr. Carpenter, since you know a lot about fishing. No, he didn't say that. But I will let down the nets. When, when they did this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So back over to 21. What's he doing? He's on the lake of... On the Sea of Tiberias. This is the seashore that Luke 5 miracle happened. So Jesus comes back to the seashore where he called Peter into ministry. He's recreating every scenario to help him see. You might be done with me, but I'm not done with you. I'm coming back to where I called you. And you know what else I'm going to do? The same miracle. Remember back in Luke 5 when I called you into ministry? And I said the other thing. You know what I'm doing? Same miracle. So that whenever that happens, you're going to see Jesus is coming after my soul. Jesus is coming after my soul. He, he doesn't like where I am, and he's recreating all the scenarios to help me see he's coming after me. Here's what happens. So they cast it, not able to haul in the quantity of fish, and then John, who always has to refer to himself with the absolute longest title possible, rather than just saying, I, that disciple whom Jesus loved, rather than just saying, I said, uh, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, that's Jesus. It's the Lord, Peter. That's, that's, that's the Lord doing that. So as soon as the, the, you know, concealing himself is over, he does the miracle. And all of a sudden, the stranger telling them to do stuff different, they all realize, all seven of them, look over there and they say, Jesus is on the seashore. So what happens? <laughs> what happens? There's so much, um, so much fish they can't even, they can't even uh, pull it in. And Peter, being a uh, ready-go-set kind of person, does this. I want, you to, I want you to watch what he does here. Follow this closely. Because this, when I first read it, I'm like, okay, Peter, you, <laughs> just jump and then try to figure it out. Um, that disciple whom Jesus said, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, watch this. He heard that it's the Lord. What does he do? He puts on his outer garment because he was stripped for work. So he, he fishing with no shirt on like a true redneck. There's Jesus. And I'm going to put on my outer garment now. <laughs> Who takes the time to put on their outer garment. And then throws himself into the sea. Here's what I mean. Most of us, you know, we're like, don't want to get this wet. Peter's like, there's Jesus. Put all my clothes on. And then, you know, pull a full, full Forrest Gump jumping in. Um, so he throws himself into the sea. You know what I'm talking about whenever, like, he's on the fishing boat and he doesn't have Bub anymore. And there's Lieutenant Dan. He's like, hey, Lieutenant Dan. And he just jumps in and the boat crashes. Anyway, uh, I don't think this boat crashes. Uh, but so he jumps in, uh, pulls the Forrest Gump with his clothes on. And it says he threw himself into the sea. Um, have you ever kind of felt so sick to your stomach after you failed Jesus so many times that you can't eat, you can't drink, you can't sleep? I think that that's what's happening with Peter this entire night. They're fishing the whole night. I mean, he knew where he was. There's the seashore where I was called. There it is. Fishing, not catching anything. I think he's just looking over at the seashore the, the whole night. There he is. He's not there. That's where he called me. This, I can't believe I'm back here. And he just has that. And on the night where... He, he needed, Jesus needed him the most. Peter denied him. And so here he was in this particular place, all night long looking over there. And as soon as John looks up over at him, he says, hey, look over there, buddy. There's Jesus. And Jesus is on the seashore saying, Peter, you gave up on me, but I haven't given up on you. And then what does Peter do? He throws himself into the sea. This throw, by the way, in the Greek isn't just kind of like a, you know, a little, little thing here. This is a, a 
like a reckless abandoned flinging kind of thing. It's a uh, hurling with no care of where I'm going to land kind of into my body. I mean, it could have been a nasty kind of belly flop, who knows. But he just, he sees Jesus, puts on his outer garment, and then throws himself into the sea without any care and just starts swimming the last hundred yards. And then I think John, I mean, John could have just gone straight from seven to nine. But in verse eight, John wants to point out just how much of a bonehead Peter is and saying, the other disciples just came in the boat like a normal human and, and dragging the net full of fish for they weren't far from land. By the way, we're just a hundred yards away. I don't know anybody that can outswim a boat. So he throws himself and starts swimming and there they're like, oh, okay, Peter, I guess we'll get here to the shore and wait for you now. And you could be dry. Anyway, I think John's just always kind of messing with him. He messes with him over in, in chapter 22 where he shows how he's, he can run faster. But anyway, um, in chapter... In verse 8 here, like, like normal humans, we stayed in the boat and went to the shore and waited for Bonehead, ready, go, set, to, who, who jumped in. But uh, I've been reading the, uh, the outer garment part. Like, why does he put on his clothes? Like, that's the opposite of what any instinctual person does whenever they put on their clothes to jump in. And so I thought that it's because, by the way, this is the same sea he walked on, water. So I'm thinking, he knows it's Jesus He's got so much like booming faith here because he sees what Jesus is doing. He puts on his garments because he thinks they're going to stay dry. And of course he doesn't. He sinks like a rock. But that's not it. So that's why I was wrong. That's not what's happening. I think, I thought that it was because he thought he was going to walk on water. But actually, commentary straightened it out for me, praise God. Um, Whenever you're going to greet a kind of a awesome religious figure, you wouldn't do it without clothes on been fishing with no clothes on so out of reverence for Jesus that when he finally gets to him he's supposed to be clothed he puts on his outer garment and is willing to look like a fool the the flinging of himself wet with his clothes on shows the desperation and the reverence that he has when he comes to throw himself before the mercies of Jesus so I want to show you three keys to restoration The first one is this. If you found yourself at a place where you're just too far, true restoration begins when we finally throw ourselves onto the mercies of Jesus. That's what Peter's doing. He realizes the holiness of Jesus and puts on the outer garment and flings himself in. But he knows by throwing myself towards Jesus, I don't care what I look like, I'm coming at him that this is where he's going to find mercy. So if you have fallen off the beaten path, if your life is just at the end, your first step is always returning, throwing yourself onto the mercies of God. He's overflowing with grace and mercy to you. There's not a moment where he's not going to continually overflow with grace and mercy towards you. This is who he is. Whenever the son was still a long way off in Luke chapter 15, the father ran out to him and the guy's like, I got, and he just throws his arms around him, puts the ring on him and says, come on back in. You're a son. You're fully restored. Mercy, mercy. This is what Peter is seeing. Throws himself into the sea. True restoration happens when we throw ourselves into the mercies of God. Instead of waiting it out, Peter dies into the water. He wants mercy that much. This is your response. This is your appropriate response. Throw yourselves. Dive into the mercies of God right now. So, verse 9. Slight little transition. Peter's, you know, collecting himself, going up to Christ. And then what do we see in verse 9? Seems like an obscure detail. And when they got out on land, they saw charcoal fire in its place. Remember John 18, 18? I referenced it in the Luke version, but John 18, 18 says, Now the servants and offers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing warming themselves. Peter was also with him, standing off warming himself. He swims up. Listen, Jesus overflows with mercy. There's no question about it. But you still got junk to deal with, and he wants you to deal with it. He doesn't just act like it didn't happen. He deals with it in a certain way. It's always future pointing. But 
as Jesus is recreating scenarios. This is where I called you. I'm going to recreate the miracle. I'm also going to recreate the charcoal fire. There's only two places in the Bible charcoal fire is mentioned. John 18, 18 and John 21, 9. And here he's recreating the scenario where Peter denied him. And he's wanting Peter, as soon as he climbs on the shore, Peter looks and he says, charcoal fire. And all the memories of failure come back. And all the memories of, I got to work harder. He's, I, I'm such a failure. Come to his head, I think. It says, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. By the way, they caught 153 fish we're going to see. But Jesus already had fish. And he's already, he's already he did, good you have stuff. I've got my own resources and I'm never running out. I'm glad you have these and I'm going to use them. But just, just so you know, Jesus always has all he needs. So he has his own, his own fish with him. And it says, uh, he has the fish laid on it and some bread. And Jesus said to him, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153. Why, why is there 153? The commentators were saying, that a lot of people try to make a lot out of this 153. Like, it's a special number, 153. And it's actually, here's the significance. It has no significance. (laughs) There is no significance about 153. It's just the detail. They call it 153 fish. John remembers that. Even though he's like 90 and he's writing 60 years later, he can remember. We caught 153 fish that day. Can't remember those two other guys' names, but I can remember that we had 153 fish. That I can then remember. 153. And I think that detail helps you remember that, you know, if this was like him trying to write, like, and pump everything up, it would be like 777 fish we caught that day. You know, it would be something like that. But it's just about 153 fish. Just to help you see that these are reliable sources. Like, these, this is reliable. Or else he would just make something crazy up. He just, this is what happened. 153. I have more trust in that than 777. Anyway, back to the here. Caught 153 fish, which is a lot, by the way. Um, that's a good day. That's a real good day, especially after nothing the whole night. Um, but what's going on here? Jesus said to them, I've already got some fish and some bread laid out. You caught 153, which is good. Jesus knows they've been fishing all night. And then he has this amazing, amazing invitation. Jesus said to them, Come have breakfast. Isn't that, you're creating all these scenarios and you want me to come sit and you want to eat some fish for breakfast, Jesus. The creator of the universe is saying, hey, I uh, made some breakfast. You want some? It's not bacon, I know. But still, I mean, Jesus made fish. It's got to be better than bacon. Jesus made it. But Jesus knew they were tired. Jesus knew they were hungry. And what's he doing in this, in this time? He's meeting their physical needs. They were hungry from fishing and all night. And Jesus, I think here, is giving them an amazing gospel invitation. There's an amazing gospel invitation here. He's saying, hey, come, sit down, rest. I can take care of you. Stop trying to work. Stop trying to prove yourself, Peter. You don't have to prove yourself. You're tired, you're hungry, and the part that you're missing about the gospel is the rest part. You're always ready, go set, guns blazing, trying to do stuff, chopping off lobes, and could you just sit and, and relax? Here's the gospel. Sit down. I know you're hungry. Let me feed you some breakfast. And so he sits down, relinquishes control, gets the rest part, and eats breakfast. Peter's a worker and he feels like he needs to do stuff. And Jesus is addressing that and saying, there's no work you're going to do to get in right relationship. Matthew chapter 11, I've read it to us so many times, but I want us to make sure we always remember this amazing gospel invitation that when Jesus invites us in to know him, he invites us into forgiveness, but he also invites us into so much more, which is what Peter's trying to get. Matthew 28, come to me all who who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, for you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You've been working, 
and stop. You're tired and hungry, let me take care of you. I think here, there's a whole lot greater thing happening. He's inviting him in to rest. So when we're talking about restoration, true restoration happens when we finally come to the end of our rope and throw ourselves, recklessly abandon, fling ourselves onto the mercies of Jesus. But the second thing is this. True restoration is complete when we quit trying to prove ourselves, quit trying to work, and just come to him and rest. There's no amount of work that you can do to earn righteousness. He's inviting you in, saying, the restoration that you desire is coming from me. I'm inviting you in to come and have breakfast with me and stop trying to do it yourself. Now, put yourself in the scenario again. Let's, let's think about the, the situation. Peter, fallen, denied, forget it, no more ministry. He commissioned me, I'm gonna go fish. He sees Jesus, he create, recreates that miracle and all of a sudden there's this glimmer of hope. <sighs> He's calling me back. He's giving me another chance. He swims up, he sees the charcoal fire, all the, all the thoughts of failure again. Oh, of all fires, it's this kind. And Jesus said, yeah, I'm, I'm inviting you into rest. We're gonna have a conversation here after we eat. After we eat. But first, rest. And then here comes the conversation. Listen, Jesus is going to have this conversation with us. Restoration is not ignoring of the big, huge, as Seinfeld would say, matzo ball in the room. <laughs> you know, it's, it's there. He's not just going to act like no one watches Seinfeld apparently, but that's just me. But there's this big thing in here, and he's not just going to act like it's not there. You know what I mean? The big elephant in the room, if you will. He's going to deal with it, but I want us to notice how Jesus deals with it. Because, I mean, this, I know you know this, this man's amazing. He's just unbelievable. The words, the way he does things. So it says, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I mean, that would be strange. Um, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, and now it was the third time Jesus revealed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said, it's time for the conversation. He looks at him, Simon, son of John. Now, he had given him the name Peter. So it's kind of like when your parents call you your full name, John Thomas Chambers, like, okay, it's about to get real. <laughs> Everybody get out of here. Um, Simon, son of John, and he says it all three times, by the way. He says it right there in 15, says it again in 16, says it again in 17. Simon, son of John, and he says, do you love me more than these? Let me, let me fix a little thing in your head real fast because you've probably in sermons heard that, you know, the, he's using different forms of love here. All of a sudden you think, uh, Simon, do you agape me? unconditional love me, you know I phileo you, you know I brotherly love you. Simon, do you agape me? You know I phileo love you. Simon, do you phileo love me then? Yes, I phileo. Let me fix all that and just say, there's nothing there, there. There's no there, there in the love words here, okay? It's by the time when John was 90 and this was written in the end of the first, end of the second century, phileo, agape, Greek, koine Greek, not classical Greek because this isn't classical Greek, this is koine Greek. Classical Greek, it means junk. Here it doesn't. Um, this agape phileo just means love. When you hear love, it just means love. There's no other thing but love. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I know that there's lots have been poured into the exchange of agape phileo, but, but don't pour it into there. As a matter of fact, if this helps you, they didn't even have the conversation in Greek. <laughs> they had the conversation in Aramaic. And 60 years later, John's writing it in Greek. So it wasn't like an Aramaic. You're like trying to figure out, does he brotherly love me? Does he agape love me? It was an Aramaic. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Boom, that's it. That's the conversation. So Take out the whole agape phileo thing, all right? It's just, do you love me? You know I love you, all right? So back to the thing. So here we go. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So the more than these is so ambiguous. Like, do I love you more than the fish? Do I love you more than the boats? Like, what do you, what do you mean here? I want, I want you to understand what he means when he says, do you love me more than these? This isn't just a generic ambiguous more than these. Because... Right whenever Peter looks at him, I mean, Jesus looks at Peter before uh, the institution of the Lord. So he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. This is what Peter says. I've, I've combined two gospels together. And he says, though they all fall away, 
I will never fall away. And the other text, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I love you more than anybody. So Jesus is looking at him and saying, hey, see these guys over here, these disciples? Do you love me more than they love me? You said you did. That's your big boast. And then what happened? You denied me three times. So he recreates the charcoal fire of what happened in John 18, 18 to help him remember, hey, you denied me three times. And we're going to deal with that now. We're going to have the conversation. But notice the restorative way of Jesus, okay? He, he's going to ask him three times. So the significance in, in this exchange in 15 through 17 is not agape phileo. The significance, don't miss the forest for the trees, is he asks him three times because he denied him three times. And he's wanting him to see every one of those denials, boom, it's all been restored. Denial number one, do you love me more than these? You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. That thing's over. Denial number two, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. Boom, that one's gone. We only got one more. And he asked him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Boom, that one's gone. Now it's in the past. And I want you to even notice here, as he's asking him, he doesn't say, Simon, Son of, son of John, do you love me? You know that I love you. He doesn't say, then why did you deny? He doesn't do that. Which points backward to failures. What's Jesus doing? I mean, notice how unbelievably restorative his language is. Simon, do you love me? Then pointing forward to future work for the ministry of the gospel, feed my sheep. So, The restoration of Peter here is now public and full. Here's the third thing. This is is so key for you to hear if you feel like you're on the outsides. True restoration with Jesus does not point backwards to past failures. That's not the way Jesus works. You've already thrown yourself into the mercies of God. That thing's over. His mercy, the way he does it, is pointing forward to a future that we have with Jesus. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, tend my lambs. Go in Acts 2, let the Holy Spirit drop and see 3,000 get people get saved, Jesus. Here's the thing. You might have been done with me. I'm not done with you. Not by a long shot. We got all kinds of stuff, Peter. This is how amazing John 21 is. I mean, yeah, it could have ended at verse 31, but I like the ending of 20, 31, 21, 25. I like it way better. As a matter of fact, if you haven't read it, there are so many other things that Jesus did were any of them to be written. I suppose that the world could not contain the books that would be written. A lot of books in the world, and they can't write down all the things, awesome things that Jesus did. So here we have the restorative nature of Jesus pointing him ahead to a future. Pointing him ahead to a future with him. That's what's awaiting you in restoration. Remember the definition of restoration? Returning something to its original condition. That's what Christ is doing. And notice how he says it here. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk yourself wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is Jesus telling him, this is how you're going to die. They stretched out my hands and crucified me on a cross. They're going to stretch out your hands and they're going to crucify you on a cross. As a matter of fact, Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way as my Lord. Put me upside down. And he tells him of his future. And he tells him, this is how you're going to die. And notice even the language that he uses. This was said to show him what kind of death he was going to die. No, he was going to glorify God with. And then here he looks at him. Okay. Forgiveness is done. All of it's done. And he looks at him and he says, after this he said to him, follow me. Same thing he said to him back in Luke 5 when he called him into the ministry. In other words, that offer I made in the very beginning, even though you messed up, it's still good. It's still right here. Follow me. And he's telling you then, that offer I made to you when I first called you and you feel like you've made a train wreck of your life, guess what? still good he's still telling you just like he's still telling me follow me the same way I called you is the same way I want you right now restoration's available throw yourself onto the mercies of God come and rest find rest 
and feel the true restoration as I point you to a future. And I'm still saying the same thing to you that I said when I first called you. Follow me. Follow me. I mean, this is, I think, a perfect sermon for the end of the year heading into a new one. Jesus is telling you, follow me. We're going to go into a time of response here at Remedy. We, we believe in revelation response. God has revealed him through, himself through his word, and then we respond. And so I trust the Holy Spirit is moving. I trust the Holy Spirit is grabbing your heart. You might not be like crazy, crazy gone, but you still might have a life where I'm just not living up to the way I should. And he's saying, follow me. Offer still the exact same when I first made it from day one to right now. Follow me. So this is your time to respond. We've got time here. We've got a few songs. It's your time to think and pray. Maybe, maybe you don't need to stand and worship. Maybe you just need to put your hands up in your seat and pray, God, I fling myself. I throw myself under your mercies. Maybe you need to stand and give God the glory. However the Lord's being obedient, or however the Lord's leading, I want you to be obedient to it. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I can't get over the fact that you're still saying to me and to all of us, follow me. The same offer that was made to me from the beginning is being made to me right now. Even though 20 years ago, I made a train wreck in my life saying follow me because you are in the restoration business gotta pray for us all we throw ourselves under your mercies where else will we go we got nowhere else to go but to you and that you're saying come to me right now wet dripping humiliated because that's how I want you because I cover you with mercy so good to us. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.